In this episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, Jane and I are continuing the discussion about internal and external processing by having a conversation with Broadway performer Lance Roberts. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, a field guide for the storytellers of the world. This is a deconstruction arts podcast that examines the world around us and looks at how day-to-day inspirations help storytellers create. I'm co-artistic director and explorer of thought, Jane Rose. And I'm Tavi Stutz, the other artistic director of deconstruction arts and a lover of love. On this episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, we are going to be talking with Broadway's triple threat actor, singer, dancer, Lance Roberts. I've been blessed in my life to meet some pretty remarkable people, and Lance Roberts is at the top of that list. We've spent many nights burning the midnight oil, talking about all aspects of life and its wonders. Uh, He's a great friend, and his positive outlook on life is infectious. One example of this is his yearly potluck celebration, which takes place in January to observe Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Wherever he is, whatever he's doing, he asks each person that is participating to bring something to the table that represents their culture. Each dish gets an introduction. Sometimes it's written on a card, sometimes it's spoken. Either way, this all-inclusive approach to celebration and dining is always a hit. He is a creative genius that is always cooking up something new and exciting and entertaining. Welcome, Lance. We're honored to have you here with us today. Thanks for having me. Here we are live from New York. You might hear some uh, ice cream trucks, sirens, firecrackers, because <laughs> we're alive here in New York. <laughs> Summer in the city. Summer in the city. Summer in the city. I will, and I also thank you for calling me a triple threat, you know, because... I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't act. <laughs> yeah, I'm threatened. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's a threat every time I'm on stage or screen. It's like, oh no, he's going to ruin everything again. No, I just... <laughs> uh, Lance, we've been discussing uh, on this podcast internal and external processing, and uh, we oddly decided to connect that to acting methods because that made sense to us, and mm-hmm. uh, which types of techniques could appeal to different types of processors. And mm-hmm. we've even thought that you know an actor could even ask if their character is an internal or external processor and that that may differ from one actor to another and how they go about the process. So it's a lot of different stuff and we're really excited to get your take on it and also hear about the different experiences that you've had, different parts that you've been able to prepare for and then uh, some of the ways that you've gone about that. It's We're looking forward to it. We're hoping it's going to be a really fun conversation. I'm looking forward to it too. Kicking it off, uh, acting is one of those interesting professions that everyone is aware of, but not many people truly understand. How did you get into acting and what inspires you to keep doing it? Well, I got into acting through music. Uh, I grew up in the late 60s, early 70s and in Harlem, and there weren't a lot of African-Americans going into the movie business or theater business that I was aware of. We had the black exploitation films, but they didn't have a lot of range. They looked like just people who were in the neighborhood, sort of 
magnified. So I didn't think that was acting, yet they were acting because a lot of them were from the, like the Negro Ensemble Company. But again, not aware of that. Uh, we were very aware of Sidney Poitier, but then as brilliant as he was, there was only Sidney Poitier. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, tons of people, like if, you know, white actors, you know, there were tons of white actors to look at. So it's like, oh, that's their job. And then there's Sidney Poitier. He was just allowed to be part of the club as opposed to, oh no, tons of people can be a part of the club. So I didn't really consider acting, but I did know music because I was fortunate enough that my mother took me to the Apollo Theater on 125th Street. And, you know, I got to grow up watching James Brown and The Temptations, all the Motown acts, even Jackson 5 once. They only played there once that I remember. But many times seeing The Temptations, Delphonics, the Manhattans, the Dells, the Shylights, the Stylistics, all of these guys, you know, getting up there and they were well-dressed and they sang. And so when I was in junior high school, there was a choir which I was in. And then uh, Mr. Carr, who was our choir teacher, recognized something in me and asked me to be in the solo club. And then I sang a solo. And a lot of the times when we sang the solos, there was acting involved. We didn't stand there and just sing. He just added something. And, you know, there was a, a Jamaican song that we we did. And it was like, I'm a better woman than you that this girl sang. And then, uh, and then I, answered with, I'm a better man than you. And we were just going back and forth. And that was like sort of the beginning of creating relationships and dealing with the conflict and resolving it because at the end, we ended up in love. So there was a sense of arc and story that I found fascinating. But again, I didn't know that it was something that we could just go into and make it as a career. It was something to do after school. You know, my thing was when you go to school, you go to learn so you can be the accountant or be a lawyer, perhaps a doctor. That's where I was thinking. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got to high school, it was the first time that I realized that music and drama can go together and anyone can be a part of it. And uh, I went to a boarding school up in Massachusetts and I was in the choir and the choir director was also the drama director. And she suggested I audition for the spring musical and it was Oklahoma. So that's had, when it all changed for you. Yes, that was the moment where I was like, oh, I could possibly be in that. All right. And again, because when you watch Oklahoma, the movie, you don't see black people in it. So you don't imagine that you can be part of that narrative, which is interesting because just a little trivia for people listening is that Oklahoma, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein originally were going to put half the cast, African-American half the cast, Caucasian-American. Oh, interesting. Yes, because that is what the story is about tolerance. It is like the farmer and the cowman should be friends. Ah. Yes. So the cowboys were going to be white. The farmers were going to be black because before Oklahoma was a state, the story was all of these freed black people moved to Oklahoma because they were farmers and that's where they could go to start a new life. And that was the original conflict. 
Oh, that's fascinating. But, yeah, so when Rogers and uh, the original production actually was mixed on Broadway, mm -hmm. um, you know, the show became sort of homogenized as it filtered out into the suburbs and into the dinner theaters. But they were going to make it, you know, on the nose, black and white. But they thought, oh, that's still, that's telling people too hard. Let's just sort of like be a little bit subliminal about our approach. But yet, when you see the movie, it's all white people, so there's not even Native Americans, and Oklahoma is full of Native Americans, <laughs> which that's another story that, you know, is not told often. Anyway, I ended up in the show, and it wasn't so much as an actor that I got the bug, was uh, when people started talking about my smile, and I never noticed my smile before. How this is was, that possible? I'm like, for I, anyone, because you can, you don't get the joy of seeing it, Lance has an <laughs> amazing smile. Well, thank you. Thank you. But again, if you go back in time, you know, being an African-American, uh, I have full lips. And so, you know, I don't think of looking at my smile. I didn't think about looking at my smile because I would then notice, oh, my lips are large. And then you would start to feel less about yourself. So having someone notice my smile, but not notice my large lips was just, oh, whoa, wow. And that was the beginning of, you know, when you are an actor, I, I think that you have to believe in all that you are, not all that you aren't. Because mm -hmm. nice way to put it. You, because we accentuate, we go, oh, I'm not old enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not black enough. I'm not white enough. I'm not muscular enough. I'm not you know, sexy enough. Oh, there are all these things that we think are, we're not enough, but it's better if you start with the things that you are, you go, I do have full lips. I do have this baritone voice. I do have these eyebrows. I do have this bald head. I do have a, a little soft, paunchy gut. These are things that all tell stories. So, you know, being in high school, having someone start with accentuating one of my positives allowed me to launch into the business of acting. Mm -hmm. Again, I didn't think I was going to be a professional actor. I was in that show with someone who has become my longtime, lifetime friend, uh, is Donna Murphy. And she has five Tony Award nominations. She's won twice for King and I and for Stephen Sondheim's Passion. She's been in movies, television, everything. Um, but again, I thought when she was going to NYU, of course she can be an actress. There's everybody, they look like her already. I went to Tufts University to be an orthodontist, however, <laughs> because I was like, I have to get a real job. I can't just be like, you know, roaming around and trying to be on Broadway. I thought it was beautiful and I loved the shows, but that's not something I thought that I could do. But while in college at Tufts, they had fantastic acting programs and one of the few universities that has an arena theater, uh, theater in the round. But there are lots of just great actors who came out of there. So I was studying a lot there extracurricularly. I had already switched to economics because the bio, it did, some of the uh, <laughs> the labs did not work with my um, 
sensibility mm. back in those days there were some some things we had to do in lab that they don't do to animals any longer and i was already protesting that and i said well this is not for me i'm going into economics because i think i'm going to be an actor so i should understand money i wanted to do accounting but believe it or not accounting is not a class in most uh, liberal arts colleges and especially not in those days so i switched to economics because i said either i'll have no money or a lot of money. So I should understand the concept. So I was taking all of these acting classes and that's when I really started to explore the idea of this as a craft, as mm. something to break apart. It's great to be spontaneous as an actor, but if you are going to have a career at it, you must study because there is a craft to it, especially to recreating all that we do. Mm -hmm. Wait, so talking about getting into these shows and that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. I don't know. You do so many things between live and filmed. I'm wondering if you can walk us through either a way or the way that you prepare and get ready in terms of for your characters and like dive into that just a little bit. Give us a, a glimpse of that. A glimpse. I look at each role differently. Um, I do like knowing what shoes I'm going to wear. Shoes are very important because each of us walks the earth differently. And none of the characters walks the earth like Lance walks the earth. Right. When I was in, uh, what was that, My Fair Lady, I had these great shoes. They, they made me these great shoes, but Catherine Zuber said, oh, well, these, these old shoes that look really good, but I don't know if you want to wear these old shoes. I put them on, but the right shoe, the heel was slightly worn down. Bam, I had been rehearsing eight weeks. All of a sudden, my character, Jamie, had a walk. Once I put on those shoes, I knew him. And it's like, of course, the costume helps and everything. And I also write a bio for practically every character. Even if I'm doing two lines on, I was on New Amsterdam and I, I had like two or three lines and I was just being someone who was helping them to raise money on a GoFundMe type program. And I was just on a cell phone. I actually filmed myself. It was it was cool. But yeah. I, had, I had two, three lines, but I knew who my guy was. And I knew mm -hmm. why mm -hmm. he was making this plea to make the money because I had written the bio. So even though I was playing an average human being, yeah. this human being had a life because it just fills me as a, as a human yeah. being so that I give those characters. I always say, every time we get a chance to act, we have to honor the character's story who we're telling. I would say it yeah. starts internally because I like to live with the character just like we live with ourselves. We all have our own personal secrets. Wait, so we were just talking about the method acting where uh -huh. I was like, all right, who are, who are these method actors? <laughs> so this would, this would be sort of something that you're saying you do when you first get a character. Absolutely, absolutely. When I'm alone with one character, I do like to just spend some time with them. And then when you're in the room, that's, I think that would fit into your, what you call external processing, when mm -hmm. then you start talking about the characters and the relationships and, and how mm -hmm. they interact. That is a building block, but that wouldn't be my first go-to for sure. And it's interesting enough, I was teaching a master class over Zoom uh, a couple weeks ago, and one of my co-stars from My Fair Lady happened to be on the, the master class. 
And he said something about the, the way I worked, which I didn't even realize that. He said, you know, I'm throwing myself around. You know, we got this Tony Award winning director, this huge revival on Broadway, and I'm trying to do this and that. And Lance is just standing there. And he said, I was wondering, what's with this guy? Is he going to do anything or nothing? And then he realized, oh, he was watching. He was just sort of seeing what was going on, which is true. That is, I am definitely an observer. Yeah. So that's like an extreme, just between you and your castmate, that's like an extreme example of internal processing and external processing. Yeah. He's very externally. (laughs) He was doing everything. And I was thinking, I was like, good for him. But I was trying to wait until he sort of landed and found his truth so that we could react and, 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 and live in the space together. Because when I see people doing things, that is what I call acting. But it has nothing to do with the reacting. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, waiting for an event, an inciting event to actually happen that you respond to. So I I will often just sort of stand there, let people act, you know, if that's what they want to do, because that is their process and they'll find, and he did, he found a beautiful performance. I don't even remember acting with him on stage. I do remember being with him on stage. Mm. Interesting. Because we know we didn't have to act. We, he didn't have to do the extra after a while because, you know, the space was real, the relationships were real, and we were just real. I, I am a believer in no matter how you get to it, it, it doesn't. I don't care how someone else works. They shouldn't care how I work as long as we get to the story and the truth of the story at the same time. Mm. Lance, you've played so many different roles. Do you have a favorite one that you've played? And mm-hmm. why that particular oh. one? Well, I, I have a couple of favorite roles, but I would say the number one role was playing Cole House Walker Jr. in Ragtime the Musical. Mm-hmm. If you've read the book, seen the movie, or seen the Broadway show, you can understand. Um, here is, first off, it's an African-American protagonist who is well-spoken, educated, but also has a, a, a protesting spirit in him. And he, there's a dignity about him and that he will speak up for what is right. Mm. And um, it doesn't end well for him in the show, but I, I loved the journey and the fight and the dream. When he sings a song, he has two great songs with, two great lyrics by Aronson Flaherty, um, The Wheels of a Dream, talking Mm. about owning a car. And I, you know, I'm an emotional person anyway, but it's like, I understand what it means to own a car in America. It means something to everyone, no matter what your race or ethnicity or, or your gender, a car means something. That first car, even if you're a 16 year old person and it's a, some old Pinto, you're like, but that's my car. It means something because all of us want the power to move forward and cars mm. do that for us. Yeah. It is an amazing uh, mode of transportation of moving through life. And so when he's talking about the wheels of a dream, and it was during the era of the Ford Model T, and so that sort of echoed what the country was doing at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so I love singing that song. Also, when he sings, make them hear you. Ah. Mm-hmm. It is also the moment before he knows he is going to his death. He is about to negotiate and he knows that he is going to negotiate with his words with people who are going to negotiate with their guns. Mm -hmm. But he says, no matter what, make them hear you. Go out and tell your story. And I, as, as not I, but all of us as storytellers, and there are many types of storytellers, you know, whether you, you use your voice, your body, and um, he says, go out and tell your story. I believe that everyone has a story and we should tell our story because someone's going to listen. Someone's life is going to be affected. Even if you think, oh, well, there's nothing to my story. Someone go, no, there is something to your story. That might be my ultimate favorite show. Right it's, yes, Big it's time. beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I hope they make a, a movie musical out of it so more people can see it. It's also, you know, not to pump them up, but I think it's the ultimate American musical. For sure. Yeah. Because it represents all that is America. The yeah. Black people, the white people, and all the immigrants in between Everybody. that just sort of like bleed into the Black people and the white people because each of those groups are also full of immigrants. And this country is built by immigrants, period. Yeah. Period. So I just, every time when I, the opening number where you go, you see the white people, then you see the black people, then you see the immigrants. I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to explode. So I love Cole House Walker uh, because of that. And he gets to wear this long linen coat, which I'm telling you, I look good in that. (laughs) (laughs) well done Um, (laughs) oh and wait and what shoes did you wear oh these beautiful um shoes that uh laced up they were a leather shoe that laced up uh, a little above the ankle and so it's interesting that you said this you asked this is that not only were they period but i felt like the shoe gave me strength to walk Mm all the way straight up like the full man that Cole House Walker was. Mm. He awesome. didn't he didn't wobble at all. Those shoes and oh man, oh I loved wearing those shoes. Loved mm. wearing those shoes. We've heard stories of some of the characters that you've played that have mm-hmm. maybe been challenging or mm-hmm. more fun or more mm-hmm. um, closer to your heart. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there are any roles that like as an actor, right? You you're you're given an audition. You go to the audition. You're like, all right, mm-hmm. fine. I'm doing this audition. And as an actor, you want the job, so you do mm-hmm. your best job auditioning as you can. But have you ever been cast in something that you were not super eager to play? Well, the first thing is, I think that we should always invite things in our lives that give us joy. Mm. So when I audition for things, or if if I you know, so lucky to be offered something, I have usually made the choice that I want to be and live with this character and this person. Mm. So it's rare that I, I don't, I can't think of one of my people that I did not enjoy. Now there are some roles that are a little harder on my psyche Mm. that, you know, even Cole House Walker, um, I'm probably never going to play him again. 
because it hurt my heart to be such a dreamer and to believe in the justice system and then to go to negotiate and then die. That hurts my heart. I could feel the pain every day. And it's like, you know, here we are, you know, now, you know, we have things happening, you know, around the world and in our country, but that it's, it's not new, you know, <laughs> it's not new for black people in this country to have that experience. And um, it hurt, it hurt a lot. So that is not, that's a role that I probably won't revisit, but there was another part that I played that I feel like it was making me ill. And mm -hmm. I was playing a guy and it wasn't because anything bad, sailors back in like the 1600s and 1700s would often at the end of their lives end up living under docks and there's a, a, a true story about uh, these sailors and uh, this, it was actually a trans woman. Well, it was a woman who was living as a man. Yeah, so, uh, and it's, uh, Dingby was her name. And uh, because she was an escaped slave in order to, you know, not be caught, she lived as a man. Her job was taking care of dying sailors. And so these sailors would give her whatever money that they still had or stole, you know, as pirates or whatever. And she would take care of them till the end of their life and whatever was left, she would keep for herself. Well, I played one of these two sailors and I loved, loved uh, my, my counterpart. I really enjoyed him, but as I was there, because my character was dying, I would allow myself to decay on stage. Mm. Just in my, just in my persona, in my insides, in my thoughts, in my so method acting, your, your go-to. No, it really isn't because I can use substitution and pretend I can pretend a lot, but there are certain roles right. that, it enriches the character to sort of like go there. I wasn't actually dying, but I, I, uh, there's a thing and you, you guys probably experience it. It's like when you're, even when you're dancing, when you're creating how, you know, all of the electricity, everything is firing on your body. It's like you feel, even if you have pain, you can dance through pain oftentimes, because there's something extra that is coming through that allows you, you know, oh, my hip when I was walking here was killing me, but right now I feel no pain. I will do this leap. The show well, must go on. <laughs> the show must go on. We, as artists, we allow uh, the spirits to come in us and live through us. And so that when you know, it is sort of a method but what I was doing, um, and, and it's interesting because that particular character, his shoes were barely on his feet hmm. because he had, he had finished walking. He had finished walking. He was only like lying there waiting to die, which it was, I, I found that fascinating too, that, you know, that the shoes that we found they had so much life in them, but they were like sl slowly, you know, withering away and uh, they didn't replace the shoes 
throughout the run because I love that they were withering away just like my character. But um, inside I did feel, and I remember the last week of that show and I said, oh, this has to be over soon because I feel like, I, I felt like a sickness coming on because I allowed myself to not have those things fire because I didn't want to be, you know, Sonny Lance. I didn't want to be that person mm -hmm. because as soon as I get an, an uh, optimistic thought, you'll see it on my face. My eyes, my cheeks, my smile. There's like, I have a, there's a gift. I don't know where it's from, if it's the people I've met, you know, friends, relatives, you know, the spirits, the gods, whoever. If I get an optimistic thought, you are going to see it on my face. And so, I didn't have any as that character. And I was like, I need to be done with this so I can get back, you know? And I literally, uh, I, I slept for two days after and then I was, I was back. So- That's interesting. Um, yeah. That's, a, that's actually one of the interesting things that we wanted to, to talk to a performer, an actor specifically, mm -hmm. about this topic of, of, you know, this internal and external processing because most people only deal with them you know, mm -hmm. like their whole life, they deal with Jane, they deal with Tavy. Right. Mm -hmm. they, they don't take on the psyche of other people. They don't take on what it means to put on someone else's shoes, literally or figuratively. And so in sort of thinking about this, you know, it's like there's the work that you do to create your characters. Is there is there any thought that you can share in terms of your own sort of like personal uh, way that you process just in like real like Lance when you're back to being Lance and you're not prepping for a character you're not prepping for anything mm -hmm. do you tend to be similarly when you're prepping your characters take some time think about stuff or mm -hmm. do you suddenly start wanting to connect with friends and talk through different I definitely have conversations with myself a lot now, I don't know if that comes from being an only child. Mm. And does what that is, count as internal processing or external processing? <laughs> when I'm talking to myself? <laughs> I think Lance may have found a third option. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know if I enjoy working things out with myself, but because I was alone a lot as a child, I was a latchkey child from third grade until ninth grade for six years. I was on my own from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. when my mother came home, you know? And in those times, I, I conducted symphonies. I dealt with the loss of a loved, you know, person you had a crush on, dealt with the failure on the softball team. I dealt with all of those things before I like say, oh, ma, this happened, you know, at school mm -hmm. today that wasn't me. And so now I have learned the value of a great conversation. Not so much to work out what I'm going through, but just to talk. Mm -hmm. Just to talk. Um, so I don't know if that's external processing, because I mean, like Tavi said, we have had many late night conversations in both of our kitchens out in California. And even when he came here, it was like, we have to tell ourselves, it's time to go to sleep. 
because the sun is coming up. We must, <laughs> it's like, or should we just make omelets? It's like, <laughs> it's because I do enjoy a great conversation. If I were filthy rich, I would have dinner parties every night and just have people over with fantastic meals, mm. great wine, bake bread, make desserts, and mm. just converse. I, that would be heaven to me. That does sound like heaven. Yeah, I <laughs> just, oh, just, I would be just fine with that. That is what I enjoy doing. So um, I'm thinking, did I answer the question? You did, um, yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Very much so and beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to tell us, I I just tuned in for your, your show this past Sunday, Broadway's mm-hmm. Call It, mm-hmm. where you Thank were- you chatting with your friend Glenn Close. Yeah, and she was, was amazing. So, so wonderful. So, you know, I think part of what makes that so fantastic, really what I wanted to bring up is like, what are you working on now? And I'm like, but I know what you're working on now. So <laughs> say it. <laughs> and then maybe you can tell me about some other things. Because <laughs> Lance always has like 15 things in his back pocket that are going on at any given moment. Yes. But with that one, it's so fun to see you know, when we see Glenn Close is when she's dressed up like mm-hmm. Desmond, a whatever. character Norma or Desmond. Norma Desmond or yeah. something or Cruella DeVille or someone. Yeah. Right. So it's so fun to see her stripped of all of that and just see her. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. And she's such a, I mean, she seems like such a lovely human being. Absolutely. Full of humility and grace and wisdom, love, gratitude. And yeah, gratitude, absolutely. Just, oh, she kept thanking me for having her on the show. I was like, oh my goodness, you're like the queen of acting. <laughs> you know, it's like, and just, uh, the show was called Broadway's Calling. And um, I have had great moments on Broadway, but the greatest moment was when I first got the call to make my Broadway debut. Mm-hmm. And I've spoken to other people who... Uh, and everyone who's been on Broadway has had the call. Someone had to call. It's a moment. And most people, it's a, a, a good moment. Some people, it's not a good moment. But it's still a moment. And I've been collecting these stories. Um, I even have the great Rosemary Harris. And I taped her. I asked her if I could tape her. Because um, I didn't know what it was going to be, like a podcast or a television thing, a book. I didn't know what. And so I taped her and she told me how she ended up coming to Broadway in the 50s from London and mm-hmm. ended up working with Laurence Olivier. It just, it just, it was a, yeah, this is what happens. <laughs> but, you know, I have the story and I started asking friends as I was doing more and more Broadway shows. And then I was collecting them. I'm like, maybe it'll be a, a coffee table book. But then- so How long have you been thinking about this? Well, I know I started the Facebook page, Broadway's Calling, in 2014. I know that happened. Oh, but wow. I, yeah, I had done it long before then. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, most definitely, because I have things all the way back to Sister Act, which was 2011. So I have these little forms that I would have people fill out. So during the pandemic, I kept thinking of, we don't have live performance, you know, when I was a kid, I used to hear one monkey don't stop no show. I feel the same way one virus should not stop our show. 
there are still ways to connect with people and tell stories. And I said, and I, I keep something called the hot file because as TV knows, I have all these ideas. And so, I, I, and I implore everyone, if you have an idea, the first thing you must do is write it down. Then it becomes real. It's tangible once it's written down. And then I write them down or I put them in my phone. Then I transfer them and I put them on my computer and then I put them into the hot file. So what I did was I said, let me go to the hot file and see what can I create during this time where I'm just sitting in my apartment. There has to be something. And so I said, wait a minute, I could take Broadway's Calling, which I had already turned it into a musical review with a, a lead character who wanted to be on Broadway. And I was gonna use all the stories that people had told me and have these uh, four other actors play famous people, chorus people, different types of people to inspire this one person called Thank You Next, who was going to, who was aspiring to be on Broadway. And she was looking for uh, the, the key, the clue to finding how to get on Broadway. So I had already written that down. I said, wait a minute can I turn it into like a TV show or something online? Or I didn't know whether it would be Zoom or Facebook or Instagram or- I think the other is still a great idea and I would love oh, to see that. It, oh, Broadway's Calling Live is coming. It's still coming okay. on stage. Soon as we get back, oh, it's coming. And now I'm gonna have even more stories. So then I started thinking, um, I wanted to make it a live show where I was talking to my Broadway friends, where to me, you know, who loves the theater. I love acting, I love drama, I love music. So the people who perform, and I don't necessarily even include myself in that, but the people who I'm watching, I think of as superheroes. Well, if you find out about the moment that they first got the call to be on Broadway, well, now we're getting a superhero origin story. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The real Avengers. These are the origin stories. And so like when we had Glenn Close on, on my premiere episode, we heard a story that no one's ever talked about when they've interviewed Glenn Close. And I'm hoping that stories like that will sort of inspire all types of actors at different points of their career to realize that there are obstacles. And again, like my sports analogy, you work through the obstacle and you achieve your goal. She wanted to be an actor on Broadway and you know the doors were closed but then something happened and then she ended there and then that is a story that we are going to continue to tell every Sunday at six on YouTube plug away and we'll put uh, a link gonna... in the show notes as well oh, so people fantastic. can find you yeah excellent but it's like just think about all the stories that we could tell I'm like so many people of different walks of life like I said when I was a young kid I didn't see African-Americans in the movies or some on television, but there wasn't a lot and I didn't know about Broadway, but you know, once people see someone who looks like them, then they know that they can do it. So I'm hoping to have like all types of people on the show so that um, I have a call out to one of my favorite performers who is hearing impaired and if she comes on the show, I, I want people to realize, oh, that's right. Not only is she in the movies, but she's been on Broadway. And if I'm hearing impaired, I can do this. I don't need to go, oh, I can't do that. And I worked in a show, uh, Aladdin at Disney California Adventure, where we had a performer in a motorized wheelchair. 
And it was fantastic. And it was so good to uh, what was great about it, having her in the show, I'll never forget. We were in tech rehearsal and we were doing the whole new world sequence. And she was in her motorized chair and she was doing the great pyramids as Aladdin and Jasmine are flying around on the carpet. And she was wearing a pyramid hat and she was holding a pyramid but she glided across the stage in dry ice it looked like everything was floating in the clouds and so all the people who were just walking looked like oh well that's normal and i'll, I'll never forget the director said wait a minute put everybody on wheels because that's beautiful so it was sort of like you know having her in the show where no one's ever thought about having someone in a musical in a wheelchair, but having her in the show inspired to make something even better. So this is why we need, uh, you know, someone who else is in a wheelchair go, oh, maybe I can't be in a musical. Yes, you can, because we just had a, a differently abled person win a Tony Award at the last Tony Awards for Oklahoma. It doesn't stop life. So you, I want to like really show all of these stories and show how all of these people, it, you know, got over the obstacles and made it and got that call to be on Broadway the first time. So that's what Broadway's Calling is about. And I have a very exciting guest who just called me right before you called me, who's going to be on this Sunday. Super fun. <laughs> we'll By the time we in. this, it will be... After Way that, past, okay. So we won't we won't say that. We'll just I'll just have to keep getting exciting guests <laughs> to get great guests. Yeah, <laughs> knock the, on wood. But the fabulous thing is they stay up on your channel, so people can come yes. and check them out after the live broadcast as well. So absolutely, and mm -hmm. uh, typically uh, our our celebrity guests will sort of align themselves with the charity, and so we also take money in for the charity. So Glenn Close. Her charity was Bring Change to Mind, which was something that she started with her family, very near and dear to her. So that entire week, you know, before we have the next guest, we continue to take in donations for that charity. So it's it's really an, an extra excellent reason to just sort of get up the gusto and get these shows on the air. Because now that, you know, there's so much depression and we're sort of flipped upside down in our yeah. lives now and you know different levels of mental illness and depression uh, are per permeating everyone's lives and so you know organizations like bring change to mind they're they're there to eliminate the stigma of mental illness so that people don't feel like oh my goodness i'm feeling a certain way and I, I can't say anything. People are gonna think that I'm less than and we have to get rid of that and that's what this organization is about. So it was very exciting to have uh, that charity you know, take donations for them on the Broadway's Calling. And it's that's such wonderful. a lovely thing that you're, that you're doing and bringing out the humanity of people and bringing people together and finding, even though you know, with, with the COVID-19 we right. can't necessarily congregate, you're still mm -hmm. fine community and ways to form community yes everyone yes. even this program it's like it's a dialogue people will be listening you know there this is i i am again implore people whatever you're passionate about uh whatever you're curious about to talk about it everyone should be doing a podcast we you know sometimes i, I love to just like find things i found a lovely thing with meg tilly just talking about you know her life in the movies while having tea it's only 10 minutes on youtube but it's so great and it's it seems random but yet not 
Yeah. Uh, hopefully when people are listening to this, maybe their minds are start firing and they start thinking about, you know, the next role that they're going to play, the next dance they're going to dance, the next song that they're going to sing and think about some of these things that we've been talking about or on other episodes of, of, of your show. So uh, we can constantly connect. Yeah, no, thank you. We're, we're hoping that that's the case and you're such a wonderful addition to it. You're such a inspirational human yourself. So it's, thank it's you. Thank you. I appreciate such a that. pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to, to drop in and, and tell us yeah. about your perspectives on, on acting and a little bit about your process. Everyone's going to be looking at your feet now every Uh-oh. time they yes. get to see that's you okay. on stage. That's okay, because my feet will be telling the story. You just know that. <laughs> and, yeah. and thank you so much, Lance, for joining us. And well, Thanks for having me. Yeah, and for all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us on this exploration. And remember that inspiration truly is everywhere. So take a moment at some point today, take a deep conscious breath and be inspired.